0: Good morning, good good to be back this way again, a lot of times it's fall when I'm here, so it's nice to be here in spring, especially nice to see spring finally, right? Uh, uh, two weeks ago I happened to be in Rochester, New York, uh, the same week that spring officially showed up, and um, that Friday night they got about four inches of snow, it was like a little mini blizzard, and it wasn't spring in Rochester, New York, so... Well, uh, thanks for the introduction. You're right. It's, uh, I'm headed down the final stretch as your district superintendent. It's been, uh, it'll be 17 years by the time that I hand off the baton. It's been a great blessing to first serve Christ and uh, second to serve you as your district superintendent. Uh, it's been lots of great years of uh, traveling, watching what God is doing. Watching him uh, raise up new churches, watching him uh, start work in small towns and, and suburbs. And uh, so it's been uh, truly a blessing for me, one in which uh, I don't ever want to take lightly. I certainly didn't deserve the blessing to get to do this, but I'm thankful that I've got that opportunity. Not only love being. Uh, Pastor to pastors, but uh, love working with churches. And, um, you know, I love the free church as well. You just need to know that. It's uh, uh, the denomination you're a part of. Our our mission statement is to multiply, or to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. And so it's been my effort over these past uh, 16, headed into 17 years, to walk with you as you pursue that. And again, all of this for God's glory. All of this so that we pursue God, that God's uh, gospel gets spread, and um, we recognize this great gift of salvation that we just sang about. I want to start with a question for you this morning. Here's my question. What do you aspire what do you aspire to be in your faith let me say it again what do you aspire to be in your faith you know longer i'm a follower of christ the easier it can become for me to know all the songs and know all the orders of worship even when churches I visit, I've been there enough now. It's, it's easy to get into a pattern of daily reading my Bible and praying, which are all good things. But lose, lose sight of that answer I want you to wrestle with. What do you aspire to be in your faith? What's the goal? What's the, what's the thing that you pursue In terms of your relationships, your relationship with Christ. What's a good and a proper thing for us to consider, isn't it? It's good to stand back and ask ourselves that question. How would we even know what we should aspire to be in our faith? Maybe that's another question we need to ask this morning. Well, we're going to open up our scriptures to Acts chapter 2. So if you want to make your way there, I I want to remind us of what it looked like for the early church And, and look at five things that I think they aspired to be in their faith that I want to say are good for us to pursue and good for us as well to focus on. You know, Acts chapter 2 gives us this really intimate look into the early church. Uh, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, we, we see uh, events like Pentecost. We see the uh, ascension of Christ. We see Peter giving his first sermon in Acts chapter 3. And after he preaches the gospel, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Uh, Lucky Peter, right? I mean, I I could imagine such a thing. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. We're going to read this passage that follows that in a moment, but but I want you to ponder on this for a minute. 3,000 people come into the church now as new Christians. The church is really kind of born at this point. How did they know what to do? How did they know what they were supposed to do as a Christian church and as followers of Christ? Well, they had to have some instruction, didn't they? There had to be some guidance. Well, certainly the apostles were giving them this guidance. But how did the apostles know what to do? I think they knew what to do because they had spent time following Jesus, who had trained and equipped them to do the very same things that he had been doing. And so when this new church is birthed, this new church begins with over 3,000 people, they knew what to do because they'd been able to follow him. Know what Jesus had been doing. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 this morning, or excuse me, Acts chapter uh, 2, 42 through 47. Let's read together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Interesting, as we kind of have this top-down view because we're reading our scriptures of what the early church was all about and what people's lives looked like. I think they had an aspiration of what their faith lived out should look like. And so I want to highlight five things this morning that I hope will encourage your heart as well as challenge your heart as it does mine. The first thing I see as we look at these early followers of Christ is that they were devoted and devoted to a sacrificial love of God. Listen to the wording that is used in verse 42. And they devoted themselves. That's an important word for us to grasp this morning, because in terms of aspiring to something in our faith, you're going to be faced with two possibilities. You can either be committed to your faith, or you could be devoted to your faith. And there's a difference. There's a difference. The words used are very specific here. Devoted and committed are different. The difference is is that somebody that's committed to something tends to be more agenda-driven or task-oriented. To be devoted has a relational connection, almost like marriage. My wife wanted me to be devoted to her, not committed to her. I think my vows repeated that. A devotion is is something that is based and driven by a a deep, constant love. And in this case, a deep, constant love of God. Committed. The folks in the early church before they knew Christ knew commitment. Temple practices, ritualistic worship, what to do, what not to do, when to do it. Christ changes the game, doesn't he? He says we're to be devoted to him and devoted, if you will, to loving God with without wavering. This sacrificial love of God is lived out in these passages very clearly. They devote themselves. To the scriptures and to the apostles' teaching. They devote themselves to the fellowship, the others, this corporateness of the early church. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread, and this term shows up twice in this passage. The first, referring to what we're going to share this morning in communion, they devote themselves to. To communion, They devote themselves to prayer. And it says in verse 43 that awe came upon them. Now that word means to be reverent and respectful in our love and fear of God. Because it's born out of an understanding of His holiness. This sacrificial love of God, if you will, is a devoted love that, remembers, remembers, remembers the gospel. The good news that they believed in. The good news that they now devoted their life to living out and proclaiming. Verse 47 shows that they're praising, which which means they're joyfully proclaiming together this love of God, this sacrificial love of God. Well, Where did they learn this? How did they know what they should be devoted to in terms of a sacrificial love to God? I'm going to take you back to Mark chapter 12 where Jesus is with his followers and uh, a, a religious leader of the time tries to trap Jesus, if you will, and asks him this question that most of you know. Uh, What's the most important, what, commandment? If you will, what's the most important committed thing I should do? And Jesus turns the tables. He said, well, the most important commandment is to, what's the word? To love. To love the Lord your God. Now listen, in a devoted form, because he said to love God sacrificially requires you love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. In other words, there's nothing being withheld. It's not starting with God and trying to figure out if he's going to be first. It's, it's not starting with life and trying to fit God in when it's convenient it's to love the Lord your God with every bit of who you are. That's devotion. That's devotion. And, and so Jesus taught this. He modeled this. Even in John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says, I do nothing on my own initiative, only what I hear from the Father. Jesus himself modeled. A devoted, sacrificial love of the Father. Now it's easy to say, yeah, I I, I sacrificially love God. But I would say that I most often need to pause and reflect what's pulling and tearing at my devotion to sacrificial love. Because even though I've now been a Christian for a lot of years. I repented of my sin and I follow Christ. There's this piece of Jeff that's selfish. Jeff kind of likes what Jeff likes. And I like it when I like it. And I want it to be the way I want it to be. If my wife were here, she'd be saying amen right now, probably. I need reminded of what devoted, sacrificial love looks like. It's not Jesus plus something. It's, it's Jesus alone. So how's your sacrificial love this morning? How's your devotion? How's your faith? Is it more committed? Or is your faith more devoted? Second thing I see that people were aspiring to in their faith is found also in verse uh, 42. There was a devotion to biblical gospel thinking. Now, I'm using that word intentionally this morning because I'm hoping by the end of this uh, point number two, you're going to understand what I mean. But it says the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And I want us to think about that for a moment. Here's what I mean by biblical gospel thinking it, it is, is learning to think with the filter of the gospel being here. Everything I process my faith through. Think of the songs we sang this morning, they were gospel centered songs. Right? They were gospel centered songs. And I think what Jesus continually wanted his followers to understand is that, that you know a religious system very well. And I want you to transition to a biblical gospel thinking. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. We learn that Jesus appears to his followers for 40 days before the ascension. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24 for a minute. You're going to find uh, some comfort, I think, in this. And here's what I mean. For three and a half years, three and a half years, Jesus walked with his followers, right? And he was constantly teaching them about the gospel. Constantly teaching them about the gospel. So at the cross, Jesus dies for us to be the atonement for our sin. Jesus dies. He reappears after the grave, and for 40 days, he visits again with his followers. What was he teaching and what was he doing for 40 days with? his followers think about that for a minute why 40 days and and what was he doing well Luke chapter 24 has a couple of examples one is is this road to Emmaus um experience that some of the followers of Christ have you know they, Jesus appears to them as as they leave Jerusalem and um, He begins to interact with them, and he goes to a home that evening. And uh, one of the things that it says in verse 27 is that, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, Now think about that. People walked for three and a half years with Jesus, and Jesus is still teaching them who he is as Messiah and to think gospel, biblical thinking. That's good news for us. It should be. Right? That I need reminded of that. But go on over to verse 44 And 49, those people that were on the road to Emmaus Emmaus, go back to Jerusalem, meet with the other followers of Christ. Jesus appears to them and says, peace be with you. In verse 44, we learn this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, "This, uh, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are right witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until... You're with power from high. My point is, they needed constant reminder of biblical gospel thinking. You and I need the same. Again, if we are not careful, we are familiar and comfortable singing songs, repeating scriptures, but they must be couched in this good news of the gospel— Jesus began his ministry with the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus begins with the gospel. And before the ascension, he's still teaching about the gospel. Friends, keep singing about the gospel. Keep reading your Bibles through the lens of the gospel. Keep reminding yourself that who you are, if you're a follower of Christ, comes through the gospel. The good news. The good news that Christ came to be the fulfillment of everything that was required of the law, to deal with my sin before the Father. The Jesus that came, that died, who hung on the cross, went into the grave, and three days rose again, which we'll celebrate on Easter. That Jesus, that Jesus from Genesis all the way through Revelation, that Jesus, that gospel story, let us not forget. So develop a good a good gospel biblical gospel filter. Third, they had a devotion to generous giving. Look at verses forty four through forty five. And all who believed were together and had things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now that was those internally, they were distributing needs to. But they gave not only of their resources, I think if you read and understand this passage, they were giving of themselves to one another. There was a deep, intimate devotion to living this faith life together. Verse 46 says that they have generous hearts. Generous hearts. Those who were now followers of Christ were willingly looking to give and care for those around them. They aspired to live out this same mindset that Jesus had. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life. They aspired to live the same way all the way to the resources. Well, I s- might say that in our affluent Western culture, the idea of doing that is pretty foreign. Pretty foreign. You know, my time is my time again, right? My resources are my resources. But they model model something different, a devotious, just generous giving. It was the generous heart of Christ that did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of man to provide salvation. Philippians chapter 2. It it is that Christ modeling that devoted their hearts to living generously. That's a model of generous living. So how are you doing in the area of being generous? Number four, they have a devotion to prayerful dependence. I think they... We're praying for one another, and then as we continue to read the book of Acts even further, they are praying for more gospel opportunities, as we see in chapter 3 and chapter 4, when, when Peter and John are arrested because they had been preaching at the temple, and they were put in prison. You find this early church just a couple of chapters later praying for their release, but... It also says they're praying for more gospel opportunity. They're prayerfully dependent. There's a regular pattern of prayerful dependence throughout the early church as you read the book of Acts and as you follow the letters of Paul to the churches. This prayerful dependence kept them grounded, kept them devoted in their faith to God. Prayerful dependence, might I suggest, goes deeper than praying simply for situations or people with sickness. Those are important. But also deals with our fears and our decisions. And again, must be filtered through this biblical gospel filter of life. Where did they learn it? They learned it from Jesus' life. You remember one instance, at least. And there are many more. Jesus is found in the garden. Jesus is found in the garden. And what's he doing there? He is praying. And he prays to the Father. Father, remove this cup from me. And yet, not my will, but your will. Prayerful dependence modeled by Christ that the early church and early Christians, might I say, aspired to be like. And our fifth and final point this morning is found in verses 44 through 46. And I see it as a devotion to relational disciple-making. A devotion to relational disciple-making. You know, as you read this passage, it's easy to see this relational component that was in the early church. A commitment or a devotion, excuse me, to relational disciple making. They spent time together. They spent time together at the temple. They spent time together in homes. They spent time together praying together, studying together, encouraging one another, challenging one another. So I think one of the greatest components of the early church is one that we may struggle with in our culture as much as any. And that is giving of ourself in relational disciple-making. Far too many Christians identify their faith simply with a Sunday morning experience. The early church lived life together. The early church didn't know when someone might find themselves being arrested, being persecuted for their faith. And yet they met together. The ingredient to this relational disciple making piece centers around the word koinonia, if you will. That that fellowship together is based on relationship with a reason. Koinonia, relationship with a reason. Not simply friends, but relationship with a reason. Where I invite you into my life and you invite me into your life and we open the doors of our hearts together to be challenged and encouraged and to grow together. This faith journey, not about a one day-a-week experience. It's the second time that the word or the uh, phrase breaking bread together occurs. This time it means eating meals together, spending their time together in one another's home. Well, again, Jesus had taught this relational disciple-making model, hadn't he? How did, he, how did he do life? People traveled with him. He spent time in people's homes. He spent time in tax collectors' homes. He invested himself and opened himself up relationally to those who were following him. So might I say that as we look at this three and a half years that Jesus spends with his followers on earth to intentionally equip and train them, he modeled He modeled relational disciple making. Do you reflect koinea relationships in your life? Relationships with the reason? Acts chapter 2 reflects a devotion to each other. Acts chapter 2 gives us this great intimate look into the life of the early believers of Christ. What do you aspire to be in your faith? Would it include these five things? I'm sure you could add more. I'm certain we can go through the scriptures and find more. But do you aspire in your faith to live out these five devotions? I hope so. I pray so. I'm not there yet. I need reminded of these things. Maybe you do as well. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we are thankful for your holy scriptures, which teach us about you, which teach us about the gospel, which also teach us how to live this life as a follower of yours. Thank you as we've looked into this early church passage that you have given us the example of that uh, there's some good questions for us this morning to wrestle with. And so we would, I would, pray on our behalf this morning that you would use the Holy Spirit to ask us, are we more committed we're more devoted in our faith. And to ask us and probe and maybe do some uncomfortable work in our hearts in these five areas. Lord, we want to live like you did, Jesus. So will you continue to be gracious to us as you conform us to your image for your glory. Amen.